Welcome to another exciting and elucidating episode of the OmniTalk Ask an Expert series. I'm your host, Chris Walton. And I'm Ann Mazenga. And we are the founders of OmniTalk, the fast-growing retail media outlet that is all about the companies, the people, and the technologies that are coming together to shape the future of retail. And today's topic is one I think our audience is going to love. Yes. Yes, indeed. Because today we're going deep on the concept of embedded finance, what it is, how it works, and why so many retailers are asking themselves, how can I function and act more like a bank? Much like we are seeing from the likes of Walmart, Starbucks, and many others already. Yeah. So joining us to share his expertise on the subject is Javier's very own VP of Business Strategy and Development, Tim Dardis. Tim, welcome to OmniTalk. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, I appreciate it. I'm excited. I listen to your guys' podcast a lot, so I'm excited to, to be on the other end of it. Yeah, now Tim Tim Ann hails from Cleveland. He's coming to yeah. us today from Cleveland, Ohio. What's the weather like there in Cleveland right now, Tim? It is always sunny in Cleveland and beautiful. So. <laughs> Not if you believe that, I've got more for you. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right, right. Come on, Tim. We're about authenticity on this podcast, right? <laughs> Candid, frank conversation. To sell some 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 tourism. But. Yes, he's not on the the Cleveland Board of Tourism. Yeah, yet. yeah. No subterfuge, <laughs> yeah. Tim. No subterfuge. <laughs> well, uh, before we get into our discussion with Tim, I just want to give a quick reminder to all of you who are watching the early release of this interview live with us right now on LinkedIn. Feel free to go ahead and ask your questions of Tim. I am guessing there's going to be several as we kind of dive into this conversation here, but you can do that in the chat session window on the right-hand side of your screen at any time. But with that, Tim, let's get started. Um, I want to get the audience warmed up a little bit. About, you know, Tell us a little bit about you, about Alvier, and what the term embedded finance actually means. Yes. Sure. Um, so me, Tim Dardis, who said I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, I've been in the, the fintech space for almost 20 years now um, mm. and, and have uh, started in uh, the company, small company uh, called Cardinal Commerce uh, back in the day, um, which is now a visa company um, and has grown pretty, pretty dramatically over time and that, that hailed from Cleveland, uh, yes. east side of Cleveland. And then, um, and then I spent, prior to joining Alvier, which I joined Alvier last year in January, I spent the last 10 years uh, with PayPal. Um, okay. And worked with us uh, in, in the enterprise uh, uh, strategic accounts team. So work with some of the largest brands really in the world um, to, to to launch PayPal and Venmo and other services that, that PayPal has provided. Uh, and then uh, yeah, in January of last year, I took the the leap to join Alvier and 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 really join this exciting embedded finance world. Um, to, to really, I was bought into the to the value that that Alvier brings to the table. Um, uh, uh, in, in when it comes to embedded finance, so yes, what is embedded finance? Yeah, go ahead. Let's dive in. I was just going to yeah. say, tell us a little bit about what it was that drew you in, and and why the audience should know about embedded finance. Yeah, yeah. So I think you know, embedded finance is not like the the act of embedding finance is not new, right? I mean, brand, retailers have been doing this for a very long time, Great from point. just accepting credit card payments online. I mean, if you go to Target and you pay with a credit card. Target is not processing that credit card, but you don't know who is. It's embedded into the website, um, and it's very seamless for a customer to do that. Uh, and then, of course, the likes of PayPal and Venmo and uh, Bill Me Later back in my day, and and of course the the thousand other buy now pay later. Those are all embedded finance technology um, mm -hmm. that retailers and brands uh, offer up to their customers that is seamless and, and built into their experiences. 
I think why embedded finance is so exciting and, and much more of a buzzword today and, and is that the, the, the opportunities and the breadth of the financial services that retailers can offer has expanded pretty tremendously over the last really three to five years. Um, and that's through companies like Alvier. And so um, what we do is Alvier is a fully licensed, regulated, meaning we have all 50 money transmission licenses throughout the United States, um, but financial technology company. And so we bring the regulation uh, that is needed to offer these kind of financial services, uh, but also the tech to our customers um, that, that, that allows them to, to do a wide array of things much beyond just accepting payments. Right. And that's a key point, right? Is that you, 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 you understand all the regulations, you have the licenses to do with whatever it is you need to do to provide those services for whatever companies you want to work with. And you guys work with a lot of companies in a lot of broad sectors, but bring this back to retail why is this such a hot space in retail? Like, why is it evolving so quickly? What is it about the technology that's enabling that to happen? Yeah. Yeah, I think, look, retailers in today's, always, but particularly in today's world with recession uh, looming and, and just general you know, worry about the, the market and, and, and the economy, retailers are looking for, ways, I guess, ways to expand beyond just selling more products uh, and really providing, you know, driving new revenue streams um, into services. Right. Um, and I think, you know, that we've seen, that's been happening for a long time too. I mean, you think like Best Buy and Geek Squad and, and just mm -hmm. all kinds of mm -hmm. different examples where, mm -hmm. where that has happened. If you go to Home Depot, they say, do you want somebody to install that uh, for you? Right. So they're, they're doing that already. Right. Uh, but I think, yeah. So, and, and um, so that's been happening, but I think um, when it comes to financial services, retailers, really have two major advantages and, and these are not mutually exclusive, but ultimately they have a lot of customers, right? Uh, generally speaking, and, and they have a, a, a physical presence, oftentimes lots of physical presence or, or a website or an app that has a lot of eyes on it. So they have the, right. the, the I would say the, 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 the locations um, and to drive people and the customers. And that's a, the recipe for, for success when it comes to, to offering those customers more financial services. Mm -hmm. The traffic, um, they've got the traffic. They, they the have the traffic. in their website, right? right. Exactly. And so, so why, would they, why would they do that, right? And I mm -hmm. think, you know, number one is, of course, revenue. And, and revenue, you know, there are certain types of financial services that drive immediate quantifiable revenue. Uh, if you, you know, if you allow somebody to send money internationally, you can charge the money uh, and there's going to be a margin there. Uh, but ultimately, I think the, the bigger thing is really a, a few things, which is better customer experiences uh, and driving more, uh, you know, higher customer lifetime value or CLV, obviously the, the acronym that, that everyone's quite familiar with. Yeah. Um, and I think financial services really allows these brands and retailers to have deeper rewards offerings, um, personalized checkout experiences, right? I mean, you see this with Starbucks um, with, you know, paying with your Starbucks card. Um, and this is beyond Starbucks, right? Target, Red Card, the McDonald's app now, Dunkin', et cetera. So it's, we're seeing that happen more and more. And that's, that's a financial service, right? It's, a, it's essentially a wallet um, that the customer is funding. Um, and it is providing revenue opportunity for the brand because they're eliminating some transaction fees, but also allowing for, for that deeper engagement. And I think the, the customer lifetime value piece, right? I mean, it, the, when you have a financial relationship with, with somebody, they are much more likely to visit you again, right? That is, it's, it's their money um, and it gives them an excuse. And I talk about this a lot uh, in the PayPal days 
when they enabled, I mean, PayPal, people already engage with that brand a lot and Venmo, but when they enabled cryptocurrency within the PayPal wallet, I know that's kind of a bad word or today, but you know, that will change over time. But when they, when they enabled buy, sell crypto, folks that had crypto in their PayPal wallet were visiting the PayPal app three times a day. Yeah, I mean, it was the, the, the results were impactful and that's because there's this perceived value and it could go up, could go down, but it's exciting and it's this financial relationship. And so you, when you start plugging that into a retailer's experience and you're providing them value in a financial instrument, the the opportunity to engage with that customer is is pretty uh, pretty large and, and it, it becomes exponentially bigger. Tim, I'm curious too because you mentioned Starbucks and and for those of for those of uh, uh, of our followers in the audience that maybe are newer to embedded finance, mm-hmm. you know, Starbucks is a great example as a level set. So, like, what it what is it that that what you're describing here? What value? Does that bring to like a Starbucks in their example of how they're they're doing business day in and day out? Yeah, I think so. So there's very easily quantifiable value in that when you load fifty dollars onto your Starbucks card, right? It's it's you know card processing, right? You get Starbucks has to pay their acquire right a transaction fee, which is one mm-hmm. fee, and then interchange. Um, so if you do fifty dollars at a time, you're only paying one transaction fee, and so right then and there, that's a that's a easily quantifiable for their treasury team to say, hey, this is this Massive is value. Savings. Yeah, of course. But I think, and this is public information, or at least they talk about this a lot, the, the, the real benefit, um, and there's a, there's a couple, but they have more than a billion dollars sitting there in balance right. um, that customers have essentially prepaid for their coffee, right? Mm-hmm. And that can be a great opportunity for that same team to earn some interest in the background with their bank partners mm-hmm. um, and ultimately self-fund their loyalty program. So as you, you know, you get double the stars when you pay with a balance versus paying with your individual credit card. Well, it's because if you pay with your credit card, it costs them more money. But if you pay with the balance, it costs them less and they're able to fund a, a, a higher reward um, to that customer that does that. So I think that that it's a perfect example of a, a relative, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, relatively basic program, mm-hmm, although right. that's evolving quite a bit with journeys and things like that, but relatively basic it has driven a ton of value. Um, for a company like Starbucks. Yeah, I love that example too, because I remember when we had um, Yuval Brisker on the show, mm-hmm. the CEO of LVR a few months ago, that was Last really- year, I think, yeah. Yeah, was that was ago, really yeah. the light bulb moment for me, I think, where I was understanding like the value that is there for a retailer and, and how habitual that Starbucks has made that behavior for your consumers already. But I'd love for you to talk a little bit here about, you know, where retailers should start with this because not everybody is Starbucks. So like where, how does this make sense? What's kind of the crawl, walk, run approach to embedded finance for, you know, say one of the retailers that's listening to this, who sees what you're talking about, the sees the success that Starbucks has had and wants to kind of bring that opportunity uh, for their customers. It's a great question. That's the first time we've used crawl, walk, run in this, in this conversation too, I think. We're getting dangerously close going back to retail acronyms (laughs) and sayings. Like somebody's going to know every time we say that. But it's a great question because like there's so many places you could start. And so, yeah, I mean, curious what what you think, Tim. No, I love that you said that and crawl, walk, run, because we have actually used that uh, in, in talking to different retailers and brands about how to approach it, because I think it is, you know, at face value, right? When you say, hey, embedded finance and you can offer your customers cars, like brands are generally like, well, wait a second, this seems like a lot. Is that, you know, mm-hmm. is this too much, too much or is this too hard to execute against? And I, so I think there is this this notion of, of, you know, hey, first, you know, look at your current 
you know, financial infrastructure model. What are you doing today just as a whole? How are you accepting? And this is a pretty common practice with retailers. Like, how do you right. accept payments? Is What's the conversion impact at checkout? Is it different if we do this? So they're constantly doing things like that. But just mm. from a, a regular, you know, financial infrastructure, things like you know, refunds, right? What are you doing? Are you sending customers checks when you have to refund them? How are you doing that today? Um, is it antiquated? Is there a better way to do that, right? Mm. Um, can you potentially deliver them a refund um, or a reimbursement through, you know, just digitally, right? And they can get a virtual card, get a text message that says, hey, you know, they just, we just sent you a refund, click here and add it to your Apple wallet, right? There's mm -hmm. ways to do that that's, that's A, less expensive, um, way more efficient and provides, you know, further value. And so I think the, the first thing to do is, is, is find the low hanging fruit, like digital disbursements, um, uh, prepaid cards, things like that, uh, gift cards, um, and figure out, are you actually optimizing those in today's world? Like, has there been new technology that has come out to make, to make that easier? So essentially what you're saying is you get the backbone in place. Like mm -hmm. that's the, that's where you start. You make sure that you're using all the latest technology around embedded finance to make things as smooth and efficient as possible. So, okay, then, but then where do you go next? Yeah. Yeah. I think like, I'll, I'll just throw out some examples, I think, and just walk through some, some examples that, that, you know, we've seen a lot of success and, and start with some of the easier ones, right? Mm -hmm. Which is, yeah. you know, the, a promotional card model, right? So mm -hmm. we we actually have a live program in place today with Dish Network, which you know, most I'm sure most folks listening are familiar with Dish, Fortune 200 company, you know, provide you know, uh, satellite services across the country. Um, and historically, they had run, you know, they, they have a promotional card program, meaning Hey, sign up for Dish. Sign a one-year deal. I'm just making up the numbers, yeah. and we'll give you a three three hundred dollar uh, prepaid card, and we'll send it to you, right? And so, if you think about the way that it worked, fine. Um, mm -hmm. It was it was it's a promotional card. The customer got it. They get it a couple months later, etc. Um, but the with today's technology, and this is about kind of modernizing payment infrastructure. Mm -hmm. they could be doing that program a lot differently. And so, we worked with them to launch a new program where they're still sending out the same promotional gift card um, with the same amount of value, but they're doing it in a different way, right? They're doing it through the LVR platform, um, which allows them to do a couple of things. Number one is uh, essentially just-in-time funding, right? So if let's say the month of April, they have a $10 million budget, again, making up numbers mm -hmm. um, to send out promotional cards. Well, they would have to buy $10 million of cards and, and you know gradually throughout the month disperse those out. Uh, well, in today's world, um, with the uh, embedded finance and through our platform, they're able to really fund those cards as they're spent. So essentially, you could put a million dollars in the bank um, as a, as a pre-funding account, and as consumers spend those cards down, you can continue to fund that million. And so, from a cash flow perspective, mm. that's a huge advantage for them, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it, that's called just-in-time funding, which we built a program around that. Um, the other thing that you know, particularly with promo cards, is is the, the yeah, the retailers can can capitalize on funds that aren't spent. So promo card is a different designation than a gift card. Uh, and so if those funds aren't spent in X amount of time, that's the retailer's uh, money. And so they can capture those funds and, and, and put those back into the program. Hmm. Um, so that's a good value. And then, uh, and then um, of course, interchange as the, as the consumers spend those cards, they get some of that interchange back. And then the other thing that, that is less direct from a quantifiable perspective, but extremely valuable is data, right? So mm -hmm. now if I'm sending out $10 million worth of, worth of promotional cards, 
as the retailer, I get uh, the data on where my customers are actually spending those cards. Right? right. So if you think about it, and and sixty mm. percent of my customers are spending most of that money at Walmart, and I sell ads. That's how we, my core business is selling ads. Right. I now have some valuable information on where my customers are spending their money, which I can then use to sell more ads or extract more value out of the ads that I am selling. So less directly related to you know revenue from those cards, but extremely. Uh, impactful when it comes to the media team and the ad team at that dish. Got it. Yeah, so many like legs to this that you, <laughs> you don't even think about. And and I think you know, Tim, you don't ha- you don't have to cite exact figures, but I mean, what kind of money are we talking about? Like in like that retailers are getting back from implementing programs like this because it's you know with the the examples of that you're giving of like the just in time financing i mean the difference mm-hmm. of p- putting 1 million dollars in increments versus 10 million dollars all up front for example like i mean this i we i'm, I'm just trying to like trying to imagine in my head the volume that 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 retailers have here that you know the impact that's making to their bottom lines when they're investing in something like this is probably pretty significant right it is, yeah, and I mean, it can range. Even just the, the what we call breakage alone can range yeah. ten to twenty percent of that money that doesn't get spent, right? Because people throw away the three dollars; they right. forget about it. It goes right. away, right? And it it adds up when you have a, a a program at scale, right? And so I think all of those benefits combined. I mean, you're you're looking at a pretty significant twenty over twenty percent, twenty three percent difference in what you're actually spending on those programs um, versus what you could do, and simply, and again, like. The customer is getting the same thing. Right. Nothing changed from the customer's perspective. It's all in the back end of how they actually delivered it. Well, the customers are actually probably getting more options too, which mm-hmm. engenders more loyalty as well. But yeah, I mean, to your point, both of you guys are making like that's these are radical changes to the balance sheet of your average retailer if you start to think about it. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's even more ways to, Chris, to your point, to further modernize that. Right. Why send a card? That's just another thing somebody you know, has to hold on to and remember where it is and it makes the wallet fatter. Like we could send a virtual card that you can add to your Apple wallet immediately or your Google wallet immediately and and, and also have that immediate gratification, right? As a consumer, like, hey, I did this thing. I don't have to wait. So my emotional attachment to that stays intact Mm -hmm. um, versus getting it weeks later where I may have a little bit less emotion um, and I had to wait for it. So that's one example. Um, You know, I think there's- there's Yeah, what are some other other ones? Yeah, of course, we talked about Starbucks, uh, and there's a lot more companies now. That, you know, of course, Dunkin' has this McDonald's, um, uh, but ultimately creating this 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 uh, closed loop uh, stored value, uh, pre- I guess, wallet, uh, we'll call it wallet, um, where the consumer can ultimately fund or pre-fund an account uh, for a specific brand or retailer, and then continually use that um, to to purchase things, but ultimately get more uh, rewards and loyalty out of it. So that's, of course, we talked about the, the benefit to the to the brand and then the benefit to the consumer. Tim, I'm curious, why don't more retailers jump on that bandwagon? Like, what is what is it that you hear in terms of holding them back? And how do you kind of counter that or alleviate those issues that they're bringing yeah. up to you in the, in the boardroom or in these discussions? Because it seems like such a no brainer to follow that model, but yet it yeah. seems like, and it seems like more people are to the to their credit. But like, uh, yeah. what, what is it that you're seeing in the market around that? Yeah, I was going to say. Well, I think that that's going to change. I, I think. Look, Starbucks is a pretty tech savvy. They've got the resources. They were, you know, innovative and and able to execute this on their own. Um, and they and they built a pretty sophisticated system on their own. I think not every 
brand and retailer has that ability, right? And right. so that, number one, held them back initially. Mm. I think that's going to change over time. But I think there's also this, um, and I've talked to, to a lot of companies about this, that, you know, there, the higher frequency, um, lower transaction value, th- those types of retailers are, are certainly a great fit for that. Whereas, you know, if it's mm. something where you're purchasing from someone, you know, once a year or once, it, it's unlikely that, right. that you're going to, you know, engage in that in a, a wall type experience like that. So I think there's, there's, you know, accessibility, which has changed with, with um, embedded finance and the companies that can now provide that. And so I think that's going to open it up quite a bit more. We'll see more of that happening. Uh, but ultimately fit um, and, and the, the belief that we as the retailer are a good fit for this model. Um, and, and some just don't believe they are yet. But I think, uh, again, the accessibility makes it easier for them to test that. Yeah, I I love the idea, though. I mean, thinking about other categories like this that are not as low, the they're not as like low price as Starbucks, but like Sephora, Ulta, like grocery CVS, stores, grocery yeah. stores, like all these places mm. that you're doing fitness centers, like where you go regularly and even some of the bigger brands totally. like like Nike or, you know, some places that, you know, like there's going to be an occasion, you know, back to school stock up. Like I'm right. going to need to spend that much money. And I, I just, I really like the approach here of like pre-funding, even if it's like two weeks before, like pre-funding that card so that I know I can get more points or I get the benefits. Exactly. You give me an incentive. Yeah. And yeah. even if it's, even if it's not, you know, a whole year in advance or like $50 at a time. But I just like the idea conversely, you know, that conversely with like the, the installment financing or something where it's like, yeah, I'm saving up in my wallet for this purchase that I will make in the future versus the alternative. Absolutely. And I think I'm going to skip, skip another example to another example, because it's one that we've been talking a lot internally about it and with others. Uh, retailers is the save the concept of save now buy later right so yeah mm-hmm. the, that that whole wallet concept as i mentioned like we've seen starbucks do it we've seen duncan do it we've seen some of those kind of um uh high frequency lower ticket items but imagine you know a, a home depot saying to their customers hey you want to do a kitchen remodel we'll set up a kitchen remodel fund for you mm-hmm. and it's at its at its basic form, it's the same exact thing, right? We're creating this financial instrument in the background, and the consumer can put money into it. But as a consumer, like, okay, cool. Well, what does Home Depot get out of it? They can hey, link your payroll and set two percent of uh, every check to go into this kitchen remodel fund. Right. And Home Depot can then say, hey, we will match that for every hundred dollars you put in there. We'll do this, and we'll give you ten percent off as long as you you know redeem that at Home Depot when you decide to do when you have enough money to do the remodel. So from so it's actually doing the same thing, right? Prepaying your Home Depot purchase, mm-hmm. you're you're saving money. Home Depot is able to give you know capture the 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 money there and earn yield on it while it's sitting there, and then they can take that yield and and give you a discount to actually redeem it with them. Or it's your money; you can always take it away and 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 use it elsewhere because you decided you're not going to do that remodel. So, core the core thing is the financial service that's actually doing that for you. In the background, we're creating an actual you know account where you can actually earn yield. Um, so at its core, it's the same exact thing, just totally different concept, marketed it differently and talked about differently to their to the customers. That's a great that's a great example. So so yeah, so basically this is applicable to every category of retail. Like you've got the high the high transaction, high frequency, like the grocery store, yeah. the CVS, like Ann, you were talking about, but then it also has applicability in those, you know, more 
deliberate purchases and those, those retailers yeah. that operate more in those cycles too. Okay. So we've talked about just rewinding here. So we talked a little bit about, okay, you got to get your foundation in place. We've talked a little bit about, okay, these are things, these are areas where you would advise retailers to start exploring things next. I want to get to like, what's the next tier of things, you know, the, the run thing when, and when all this is cooking with gas, but before I do that, is there any, any other spots where you would say, Hey, if you want to look at something now, you should potentially take a look at, at this opportunity too. Yeah, I mean, I think that the one that um, is, is certainly big is is the employee benefits, right? And, and being able to- Oh, the employee to, side, cool. Yeah, so there's a lot of, well, we've seen a lot of new tech companies come out to to help uh, companies distribute uh, payroll for gig workers and things like mm-hmm. that, um, which by the way, large employers are losing employees to gig workers because the, the the benefits or the pay is better and they're able to get early access to pay. And so there's a real opportunity for large uh, uh, employers to actually own the financial relationship and provide them with with their employees with financial services, which which ultimately becomes a, a, a retention tool uh, and a tool for them to offer them more benefits directly versus you know being disintermediated by a, a bank or a payroll company. So I think there's that that's that's it's not new because we're seeing it happen with a lot of the payroll tech companies and, and the gig workers, but I think that's an area of opportunity for large employers as well. It also, um, also impl- applies loyalty to the employees, right. too, not just exactly. the right? Right. And they, and they can get exactly. So, you know, the, the whole idea, right, is to create more touch points that make things stick here. And, and that's one for sure that that is, uh, is an opportunity. Yeah. I mean, Tim, I think this is so interesting because we hear so much focus this year, especially about retailers figuring out alternate revenue streams. It's so often going to like yeah. the sexy topic of retail media networks or like all these other, these marketplaces, you know, these right. other angles. Great point. But I think Great point. even though this is, you know, sometimes Great some point. might say finance isn't as sexy as retail media. Yeah. I think Tim's <laughs> I think bringing sexy back. I think it depends who you are. Yes. <laughs> but I mean, it, it does make a lot of sense. My question for you, Tim, is like, where does this, where do you see this going? I mean, are we, yeah. going, are we getting to a point where like the adoption that we're seeing of retailers creating their own retail media networks, like, are we ultimately going to see more retailers becoming banks? Like yeah. there's a lot of benefit here. You know, and that sounds scary, right? If you tell retailers you're going to become a bank, that sounds yeah. scary. But I think first we have to take a step back and remind ourselves that like retail banking, the, the role retail banking plays in the consumer's day-to-day life is much different today than it was even, you know, five years ago or 10 years ago. I mean, my, I have a 19 year old, which I took him to the bank when he was, when he turned 16 to get his first bank account and co-signed for him. And I'm willing to bet he's never been to a bank ever since. Um, And so, you know, there's really not a lot of need for the general consumer base to, to go to a traditional bank for, for regular, you know, depositing the check. You don't need that. You know, you just, you don't need to get cash. There's plenty of places to get cash if you actually need it and you don't actually need it very often. And so, so this makes most basic level, you know, you need a debit card, you need a place to deposit um, checks, et cetera. And, Brands are really retailers, particularly ones with large footprint, are very well suited to provide that service easily, and then tie it back to to other benefits um, that that stick to their core business model. So we've launched a few programs um, recently. One with um, Boost Mobile, uh, of course, large telco, um, where you know traditionally you're, you're paying your cell phone bill and picking up a cell phone, et cetera. Uh, but they launched an entire neobank suite, um, which is called Omni Money. 
Um, and, you know, consumers that are customers of Boost, or you don't even have to be a customer of Boost, but you can uh, download the Omni Money app, um, get a debit card, uh, get a FDIC insured bank account set up, link your payroll directly to that, get paid two days early. Um, you can send money to Mexico and any other country, but a large uh, part of their demographic um, that sends, sends money to their Mexican Americans send money to Mexico. So it's a full suite of services um, that, that, and particularly that demographic or that customer just didn't really have access to. Right? Mm -hmm. Traditional banking, you know, in its basic form is not that profitable a business for Chase, right? So they never really focused on it. Uh, but for a retailer that is engaging with the customer uh, for other reasons that are tied to their core business, it's very valuable for them to have a financial relationship with that customer too. Right. And so that that changes the dynamic quite a bit and puts the, that control um, with the with the brand that can benefit from it most versus a, a traditional bank. So we we launched a few of those, and I think many of those kind of new bank, uh, branded neo bank experiences are centered around kind of the the lower to middle income um, underbank community today. But I think we're going to start seeing that expand quite more because these use cases like the Home Depot one, or if you think about mm -hmm. travel and being able to have a travel fund that you know, Airbnb could offer to you that right. you can just link something and start saving for your next vacation and actually add family members to it and they can save and, and, and they know they can provide benefits. So there's like, there's just so much out there. Mm -hmm. We've, yeah, we've scratched the surface. Uh, we barely scratched the surface, I would say, in terms of um, uh, where it's heading, um, but, but it's exciting. Wow. Well, I mean, I remember, I remember when I first got introduced to Alvier. I mean, I think I got off the phone. I came running in. Yes. I think Anne was in the podcast studio. I was in the office next door, and I came running in like, and this is the coolest thing. Yes. That I've heard about. Better than bacon. In a while. Yeah, it's better, better than, than bacon. bacon. <laughs> That's the slogan, right? Um, it's it. super cool. And so, like for me, like Tim, and for the retailers listening, like I, I don't say this very often, but I would with you guys. Like this would, be, this would be one company I'd be calling to come into my office and just take me through in much more detail, everything we covered here and how you might be able to help me. So if people are interested in doing that, Tim, let's get you out of here on this. Like, what is the best way for them to do that? What's the best way for them to get in contact with Olivier? What's the best way for them to get in contact with you? Cause I have a feeling like it's going to be a pretty productive conversation. Awesome. Well, first off, thanks for the, the, the plug there. We appreciate it. We think so too. Um, but yeah, <laughs> if you want to talk to us, um, you could go to alvier.com. Um, in the upper right hand corner, just just click on the contact us and uh, fill fill your info out. We'll follow up right away. And make sure you mention you you heard about us on Omni Talk, uh, so we can we can give give kudos to, to Chris and Dan here, uh, or my LinkedIn Tim Dardis. Uh, I'm easily searchable, and, and um, uh, feel free to ping me, direct message me on there, um, and we'll set some time up. We'd love to. Amazing. Thank you so much, Tim. Thanks for everybody who joined us live today. Um, that wraps us up again. Tim Dardis of Alvier for sitting down with us. Um, as always, everyone watching and listening later, be careful out there.